another episode of Avatar The Last Korra. I'm Hannah. Dragon bones, dragon bones, let's go to the catacombs. Come along, take my bones, let's go to the catacombs. <laughs> hey, it's, I'm David, uh, and we're doing Korra again. Sure. God, <laughs> there's a lot that happens in these four episodes that we're going to talk about. But also... But also nothing. Uh, well, I, really? I mean, I feel like this is the most filler for Avatar that we've had even this whole season. And we had literally an episode that was Footloose. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that... Yeah, I, I'll give you that for um, episode five, The Beach. Like, that is very, very filler. But, you know, the Avatar and the Fire Lord has like, plot consequences that I would argue are kind of important. I would argue that it's just, like, fan fiction, and that it actually <laughs> doesn't play into the plot very much at all. I don't know. I, I think it's an important part of Zuko's arc, and I think it, you know, really continues to pull together these Aang-Zuko plot threads that have been, you know, dangling since the first season in, you know, the episode The Storm. Right. Um, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I could argue for episode six. But yeah, no, episode five is, it's nothing. Um, but then in Korra, a lot of plot happens. I mean, it's a lot of like talking and a lot of just like, just filling time, it feels like. Like we're just sort of waiting for the real plot to start. <laughs> and so we have to set up all these like chess pieces. Right. Um, which is how I felt at the beginning of book two as well. Um, so, you know, we're... We're retreading some old ground, but uh, but it all feels very new. Mm-hmm. So let's. Uh, you want to jump into it? We already talked about the beach a little bit in our beach and the male gaze uh, episode. Yes, uh, which you can check out. Um, but this is you know a classic. It is the the Fire Nation evil gang goes to the beach and they just like utterly fail at being like normal kids, and it's delightful. Right. It's about you know. <laughs> Living in an imperialist society and trying to relax um, when you're, you know, royalty and semi-royalty, as the case may be. Right. Like, you know, these these kids, teenagers, are, you know, this elite fighting force who, you know, run around chasing after the Avatar and winning military battles and, you know, doing all this pretty impressive stuff. But, like, they don't know how to talk to other children. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they they can't go to a party that that will go very poorly for them. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's just the, it's the exact purpose of a beach episode, which is to take the characters that you've come to appreciate and then show them in skimpy outfits and doing low stakes romantic stuff. Yep. Uh, it's just usually not done with the villains of a story. Right. Um, but it works for this because the villains aren't really, you know, villains. They're just other characters working for an evil empire. (laughs) Right. I mean, are, are are we comfortable classing Azula as not a villain? I don't know. Like, they're just people. Right. right. I mean, well, they I do mean, bad stuff. They're, they're villains, but, you know, they're not, like, necessarily mustache twirling evil for evil's sake. I'm just saying they get characterized yes. and, and we explore them more than we would. You know, it's like, you know, 
of course, in the in Game of Thrones, you know, Cersei <laughs> is a villain, but that doesn't mean we don't explore her character right. just as much as everybody else. Yeah, is. yeah, um, and we definitely do that here. What's what's your favorite Azula moment in the beach? Because Azula's got a lot of great moments. Well, I just th- I think she's got a great laugh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I like it when she laughs at uh, at Chang's joke. Was that his name? What was his name? Something like that. Something like Chang. We just call him Chad. Chad. He He's like a Chad. Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Zuko gets into a fight with the Chad. And so, you know, he's like, it's great if you like sand. <laughs> and she just goes, <laughs> This terrible forced laugh. It's it's a great laugh. I, I, I think for me, my favorite Azula moment is just the volleyball game where, you know, she's approaching it as like, a military tactician and it's like that, that girl with the pigtails is probably <laughs> suffering from a childhood injury on her left side we should focus there and destroy the team you know just like can't turn it off it just suddenly becomes such anime dialogue yeah you know that's it just becomes like you know this is <laughs> it's uh, literally anime. the scene from death note where they're playing um tennis tennis do you remember that one? Yes, or again, literally any sports anime. Like, it's Haikyuu. It just turns into Haikyuu for, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, she's an anime character, maybe even more than her, you know, her family. brother. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so, so you know, Azula's whole plotline is she's trying to be normal and is struggling with the fact that when... You know, she and Zuko aren't recognized as the crown prince and princess. People treat her kind of, like, differently. And, you know, Zuko was in exile for many years, so sort of, like, used to it, so to speak. But Azula's like, oh, how interesting to be mistaken. But he's not, like, used to it. He just has, like, a chip on his shoulder about it. I mean, yeah, but, like, he... He just, every time somebody, like, tries to treat him as less than, he's like, no, I... I lied about killing the Avatar to get where I am. <laughs> you don't get to pretend like I'm not important. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious what your take is on the, the May and Zuko of it all in this one. Because this is the one that sort of solidified that I do like their relationship. And I think it's funny. See, and this, I like it. I have the exact opposite take. And I don't like it. Okay. And explain. Because, I mean, like... They're they're not communicating. They're just like randomly doing bullshit at each other. Right. Well, I think it works. You know, like like Zuko is just trying to elicit a reaction from her, and she recognizes that. So you know, she, she's the type of character who doesn't want to give in to something because somebody else wants to get a reaction from you in this case a romantic reaction so like zuko isn't really like getting her an ice cream because he thinks she wants an ice cream but just because she wants he wants may to say oh thank you zuko that's so thoughtful right and she's like no i'm not gonna give you that reaction i don't want to give you the satisfaction yeah like i don't know that just feels like an unnecessarily combative relationship but it, it works with the characters and it's an interesting dynamic i don't know i find it boring and annoying personally <laughs> but you know it's okay. each their own you know, as we go more into, like, her backstory and, like, what was expected of her, which was just to be quiet and, you know, 
not not break any rules and bring shame upon her family. Right. And it kind of like makes sense that her response to that would be to have a uh, an oppositional <laughs> kind of tone. No, I like listen, I think it makes sense for her character. It doesn't make me like them as a couple. Like <laughs> you know, I can I I like May as an individual unit. Do I like her with Zuko especially in this episode? No. I like her much better like later down like later in the season. I think they get some nice moments together that make me go, "Okay, where is like this like relationship the whole time i don't know it just feels like unnecessary contrived beach drama that's like ugh, whatever no it's exactly the opposite no it's, it's not drama it's comedy ugh. it's just it's funny well i mean they're going for comedy but it's i don't <laughs> buy it personally so i i don't know the the two old ladies that zula um like low and lee, low and lee Come on. i can never remember their names they, they're here, and they, they do the prophetic thing where, you know, Ember Island reveals the true you, and that's sort of our, like, thesis statement for what's going to happen with these idiots <laughs> as they party on the beach. Yeah. Because, all right, so, yeah, we talked about Zuko and May. Ty Lee's whole thing is everyone's hitting on her, and Azula's jealous, and, you know, Ty Lee is Ty Lee, and later... She's like, I need the attention because I have six identical siblings and it sucks. And no one thinks of me as an individual. That's why I joined the circus. Wah. And then May makes like snarky comments about It kind of puts the, the, the impetus on her to say no to people. As opposed to the fact that just like all of these creepy guys are just drooling over right. her to the point, but it is fun when she just knocks them all out. That is just pretty knocks great. them all unconscious. Yeah, that's fun. But you know, it's supposed to be like I don't know, poking fun at her for being sh- you know shallow and and pretending to be dumber than she mm-hmm. is to get boys' attention. Right. I don't know if you know. I don't know if I buy that. It's just like. It's just creepy guys on the beach. They're there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's she's willing to take advantage of what they're willing to stoop to. Um, which, you know, you could criticize or you could shrug and say, whatever, these guys are creepy. Um, I do love the line, though, when after Azula, like, makes her cry for calling her, like, basically a slut. Tylee sort of gives her some advice for how to talk to guys. <laughs> Zula's response is just, well, that sounds really shallow and stupid. And there's a great little pause. <laughs> She's like, let's try it. And is just, like, totally ready. It's so, like, high school girl movie. And I love everything about it. Just, like, putting Azula in that situation. Yeah, it's a, we're watching a, a high school movie about just some some weirdos who are, you know, if you tell them that you're going to party from dusk till dawn... They show up at dusk. <laughs> That's and they will be there until dawn. Right, except for the fact that they, you know, will just bust in there and destroy your house yeah. and you know eat all your food. Uh, but I, I like <laughs> I like Zuko's little move when he sees like a guy talking to uh, to May uh-huh. and he gets jealous, so he just runs over there and does like a spin move <laughs> to just <laughs> replace him. It is a pretty. It's like good a magic move. trick. It's just. <laughs> Presto changeo. <laughs> Change this guy into Zuko. That's pretty good. Um basically the episode ends with the the 
all of them on the beach yelling at each other about their feelings and backstory. Yeah, I mean, this scene, every time I watch it, I'm a little more uncomfortable with just how direct yeah. they are with the exposition. It's too direct. I've always thought this. Since when I was a kid, I liked it. I was like, oh, wow. So we just get really direct insight into these guys' childhoods um, and what their their issues are. And they get a nice, clean little resolution in a couple minutes. Right. But, like, yeah. As, I don't know. Yeah, so and after their, their little beach powwow where Zuko admits that he's mad at himself because he should feel happy, but he's not happy, which, you know, is the great subject matter of many Broadway musicals, songs, <laughs> um, which I will refrain from singing for everyone's sake. Uh, and then they go and trash the, the, the house and there's like a weird fan right. art freeze frame at the end that I always hate and I think is bad. Um, but it's fine. Well, the first they burn down, uh, their old oh. childhood summer home yes. with all of their childhood memories in it, yeah. which is kind of a symbolic cleansing Kill the past. fire and they're all reborn sort of after this episode and we see them differently. Yeah. When this episode's over. There's a small B-plot in this episode where um, Aang and the gang are hanging out and they get spotted by some Fire Nation dudes who try to send a letter back to the Fire Lord, but it gets intercepted by that assassin that Zuko hired a couple episodes ago that we all sort of forgot about for a little bit. Um, And he attacks them and they have their first... um, like real confrontation with him. Um, and I, I do have to say, I really love that first confirmation or confrontation. And it's really creepy in a way that other confrontations with villains have not necessarily been because when the fighting first starts, well, just cause he doesn't talk. Well, one, he doesn't talk, but I like, I'm talking on like a larger, more meta level. Like, they don't play any music when they first start fighting. You know, like, usually, like, those drums just, like, bam. You gotta hear are, the explosion. Right. Yeah. Like, you just hear the explosion, and it's, like, everything's lit in moonlight, and you just hear the sound effects of, like, the earth bending happening or, like, the air bending that's, like, rushing by or, you know, those the explosions that are happening. And, like, it goes on for, like, a solid, like, I don't know, 10 to 20 seconds with just no music and just fighting. And it's, it's right. really I'm cool. I'm super bored by that. Really? I don't care about it. Okay. There's nothing about it that interests me. I, I, it always engages me. I, I really like that. It's fine if it I doesn't mean, do anything he just has, you. he really just has one move, you know? Right, but what I'm What I like saying... about fights with like Zuko and stuff is all the dialogue and the back and forth and the fact that he'll switch up his move set and you know, whatever, you know, an Aang and Zuko fight, that's a, that's a fight. Yes. And then... You know, an Aang and Azula fight, that's like, oh my god, are you even going to survive? It's crazy. It's scary. And then this is just like, boom, run, boom again. I don't know. We get to see some cool bending from the kids. Like, and, and everyone... Well, they try really hard, but anytime they throw something at him, he just blows it up. <laughs> Listen, it's not a long fight. Like, they keep it short on purpose. You just because said it goes right. on forever. No, I'm saying there's, for the first beginning of the fight... There is no music, and it, the no music yeah. part goes on for longer than one would expect. Music does eventually come gotcha, in. Gotcha. It is not a long fight in that it is a five-minute long, like, 
three minute long fight, you know, I'm sure it's barely more than a minute, you know, like it's not like ages and ages of this happening. No, I I know. I just, I'm just saying like, I don't find combustion man or sparky boom man or, you know, whatever you want to call him to be too engaging. Okay. Um, I always thought that he was kind of the lamest part of this season. I mean, I think that's fine. I think, you know, he's not particularly developed. He's feels like it's important because they have to still be undercover, but they also still have to be fighting somebody. Right. Um, And the only way to do that is just have a silent assassin tracking them that nobody else knows about. I mean, he could be a Um, not silent assassin that still just nobody else knows about. Right, but no matter what, he doesn't really get to have a character because he's just a paid hitman. Right. But, you know, we find out he's a pretty determined paid hitman later. Yep. It's true. So, I don't know. There's some. There's something that's maybe there, but it's not particularly developed. He's got pride in his work. Um, I just always like that he has, like, a metal arm and a metal leg because I just assume, like, he got those when he was really young and just, like, accidentally blew his hand off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've heard people read the, raise the question, though. It's like, how does he actually move his fingers, though? He doesn't move his fingers. Doesn't he at, like, some point? I've never seen him move his fingers. He, like, bends the metal arm. It's not just, like, a dead hunk of metal, which... Right. Because he's got a joint still. Mm. It's just the joint connects to a big metal thing. Got it. Yeah. And then, like, his feet move, you can see, because they got springs in them. So there's some kind of mechanical, you know, nature to it. But it's just responding to his movements. It's not like it's not like battery power right. or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it for the so beach. So that's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. That's, that's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. That's that's the beach. Any any last thoughts on this one? I don't know. I I, I, I think it's creative to say that Tylee was born into six, six tuplets, but we never meet them. Right. And it never comes up again. Don't we meet them at the... No, we don't meet them at the end. She's just hanging out with nope. the other people. All right. Yeah. No. Yeah, it never there. comes up again. Fair enough. And we didn't really talk about the part where Azula says, that's a sharp outfit, Chan. Be careful. You could puncture the side of a warship, leaving thousands to drown at sea. You know, because it's so sharp. She's just so bad at being, like, a normal human, and it's delightful. That's a good line. It's a great line. It's a good pickup line. Azula has a lot of very good lines in this episode, and you should watch it just for that, <laughs> even yeah. even if the rest of it is not your cup of tea. Um, all right. Season three, episode six, The Avatar and the Fire Lord. It's backstory time. It's fan fiction. <laughs> why Why does this strike you as so fan fiction-y? Well, it's just because you find out that everyone's related to everybody. <laughs> And you find out that, like, they were all friends in a previous life. It's kind of the equivalent of, like, if we imagine that the first show of Avatar was about Roku. Okay. It's like, you know, it's the then we would kind of be having the same experience that we had when we started watching Korra. Right. And it's like everybody's kids are friends with everybody else's kids. Right. And, you know, like, Toph became a cop or whatever. <laughs> like, it'd just be a weird, a weird situation. So, like... The story is, okay, in in the imaginary show that never existed called Avatar the First Roku, it's uh it's you find out that the Avatar Roku and the Fire Lord Sozin were yeah. best friends. They were BFF. And that's the plot. <laughs> but so, you know, okay, so then 
their grandchildren got married and then had Zuko and then Zuko became best friends with the Avatar. So it's like the cycle repeats, mm-hmm. but it's contrived. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a little bit, but I, I don't know. I like what this this episode does on sort of the Ang Zuko parallel front, you know, and like, I agree it's a little bit contrived and a little bit like, right. It's trying to be the storm. Yeah. The storm is good. Well, and this, I don't like this. I mean, I, I, I would not call this bad. Like it's no, fine. It's not bad. I just, I don't like All it. All right. That's fair. So basically I will say the way it starts is very bizarre um, you know, just sort of out of nowhere, and gets a vision from Roku to like. Well, it's not out of nowhere. It's just that it's really close to the summer solstice. Yeah. So it has to, like it's like you know their cell phone uh, service just got a lot stronger. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, it's crazy. It's been half a year. I know. It is crazy also to get that little like nugget that like, dang, a lot of time has really passed. So they go to the the island that Roku used to call home and they find out that, you know, it's a volcanic island that there's a whole village buried underneath it. Um, and it's Pompeii. It's, it's, it's Pompeii. Pompeii. It's Pompeii. It's Pompeii. Yep. You did it. It's Island Pompeii. Um, Pompeii's an island. All right. Well, there you go. So then uh, Zuko gets a note that says, Dragon Bones, Dragon Bones, let's go to the catacombs. <laughs> um, well, he gets this weird note that's like, you must remember how your great-grandfather died. And Azula's like, idiot, he died in his sleep. And then he finds a secret message, and that's the one that's like, go to the Dragon right. Bone that catacombs. Was, that was lucky that he threw it on a lamp yeah. that didn't burn it, mm-hmm. but also just kind of toasted it. Yeah. It's uh, this that to me is the contrived part. Um, no, definitely. Yeah, uh, but so anyway, Zuko goes to like these weird fire sage catacombs or whatever and reads the secret history while Roku is giving Aang a spirit tour of his past. Um, so we find out that Roku right. and um, Sozin were best buddies once. And they grew up together. I like that um, Aang's spirit is still bald. Oh, yeah. That's true. I do like that. When he's traveling in the spirit world, it's his spirit is is bald. Yeah, it's good. I like it. But, yeah. And, you know, we find out, we see Roku learn that he's the Avatar. We see him train at all the, you know, all the same places that Aang did, basically. We find out that he was friends with Mugiazzo. Right. That's the that's the most like, come on. Like, seriously. It's yeah. I mean then Mugiazzo grows up and then and then he's best friends with Aang as well. And some friendships transcend lifetimes and stuff. Sure. I don't know. Right. It's kind but that's of nice. also the plot of Korra, you know? It's like, oh, the grand the grand nephew of the of Fire Lord Zuko is General Iroh, and he becomes friends with Korra. But is he like friends with them at all? He's just kind of there sometimes. Like he's nothing. I don't know. He he threatened to overthrow the government for Korra in, in book two, so I'd say you gotta be pretty close friends. But book two's a goddamn mess, so you know, who knows anything. I'm just saying, like, it feels kind of like, you know, a sequel will will tie a bunch of things together that don't make sense, and then a prequel will tie a bunch of things together that don't make sense, 
but before the plot even starts. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's more frustrating for, for me, personally. All right, that's fair. Um, they also call the training that Roku goes through bitter work, which is wink, wink, nudge, nudge, what ang. It was bitter work. It was the great devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was Jet. Just, <laughs> just name-dropping episodes now. Um, yeah. I, I will say, we do get one of, like, the most gorgeous uh, scenes. Uh, maybe I'm just, like, overreacting. But every time I see this scene, I think it's gorgeous. Um, you know, Roku gets married to the girl who didn't even know he existed. And he basically tells Aang, it's okay to just be like persistent and annoying. If you're in love with a random girl, one day she'll say yes. And also, you know, he says, having a lot of power says, doesn't hurt either. The line is literally, it gets better. <laughs> now come with me. <laughs> it just makes me think it's like an afternoon special, right, like, an after school special like, with like Barney <laughs> saying like, don't worry. It gets better. Right. Let's ride on the rainbow. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, but <laughs> after Roku gets married, Sozin kind of pulls him aside and is like, listen, we could be conquerors. Um, but there's this great scene where he, he and uh, Roku are in, um, they're, they're in, like, shadowed. Oh, my God. What is the word that is entirely? Silhouette. Silhouette. Yeah, it's a silhouette of the two of them with like sort of the the pillars of the imperial palace, and then there's like a sunset behind them, and it's very pretty, and I like it. I just wanted everyone to know that I like it, so now everyone knows. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you know that thing where like you're at your wedding and your best man is like, <laughs> you know, he comes up to you and he just like pulls you aside and he's like, hey, you know, it'd be like super rad if we just like invaded china <laughs> just like yeah. just the two of us you know i've got an army you've got you know, a wife you're like a superhero what if we just conquered china real quick yeah real fast and you know roku's kind of like oh no that's okay let's not um but then he does it anyway without him knowing somehow i guess and right, he was the worst avatar, yeah. like, easily. Like, like, he did nothing. We went through that whole backstory, he stopped absolutely nothing bad from happening. Yeah, he was really terrible. Um, and uh, also, I noticed in this one that Sozin is played by the same voice actor who voices Slade in Teen Titans. Yeah, it's Ron Perlman. Yeah. The, the, the Hellboy himself. Yeah. Oh, shit, it is. Wow, you're absolutely right. Um, so, you know. Yeah, I love Ron Perlman. His voice is very sinister. Yeah. But it makes it kind of weird when he's trying to be, like, jovial uh, <laughs> in, like, a couple scenes. Yeah. Because it's just, like, you don't see Ron Perlman as a happy camper right. too often. So, you know, Roku and Sozin have, like, a little mini fight, and then Roku hides on an island for a billion years, and then it explodes, and he... He manages to get all the people off of it, but, like, he's gonna die or something, and then Sozin shows up. Well, it's really weird. It's, like, this is the worst part of the episode. Because the yeah. rest of it, you know, I actually do enjoy... Like it's fine. Just seeing an avatar going through his training in the different parts of the world, and it's just fun for backstory's sake. But, like, what... So Roku gets everybody off the island, and then it's just like, I still have to stop the volcano to save the houses. It's like, just leave! Yeah. What... The stakes here are so low. so low. Your house? Yeah. 
But then, like everybody's left the island is uh, is what it appears to be, unless there's like a bunch of. I guess it's to save like the animals. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. Just, it's not truly explained. Yeah. So he's just like fighting a volcano. It's Joe versus the volcano with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's got his dragon with him, and then Sozin and his dragon show up, and they're all fighting together. But then Roku is like trapped, and Sozin is like. Bye, you can die, see you later. Right, so really, that also doesn't make any sense. Right. So like, So, like, Sozin is like, I can feel from the Fire Nation that, uh, from the Fire Castle, <laughs> that, uh, you know, my friend is in trouble because I see there's, like, a volcano going off and I know that's where he lives. So I should go so help him. I'm going to fly over and help save him and his family. And so that he goes and they, like, get about halfway through saving everybody uh-huh. and then he's just like eh, i changed my mind yeah and he just leaves I, I remember that if you die i get to enact my evil plan so uh see you later it's like so maybe you just shouldn't have flown over there in the first place like that's not a betrayal that's just you know negligence yeah um you know and we we flip between two narrators in this one both uh roku narrating to ang and you know scroll sozin narrating to yeah it's his last testament the last testament of fire lord Susan. yeah to Zuko. hidden in the dragon bone catacombs um and then basically you know we find out that you know zuko doesn't just have sozin as a great grandfather but roku's his great grandfather on his mother's side Whoa! Right, so he goes to Iroh in prison and is like, you know, my my grandfather, my great grandfather was still alive at the end of that story. What a joke! <laughs> and he's like, no, Idiot. your your other great grandfather <laughs> died. So and then he pulls out <laughs> like the crown that uh, that Sozin gave Roku in the first act. Yeah. Um. And I'm just like, how did you have this, first of all? How'd you get it in jail? And then how did I just imagine it's literally like the Christopher Walken speech from Pulp Fiction about the golden Briefcase, watch. Yeah. It's like, I saved this up my ass <laughs> for two years in a <laughs> in a POW camp because it was your birthright. Oh yeah. my god. That's Iroh. Yep. That's my Iroh. That's basically what happens here. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, though, because to me, it, like, I, I like some of the parallels that they're drawing, but I kind of hate that they're like, Zuko, this is truly why you're torn inside, is because of your bloodline, because you have blood right. from both Avatar Roku, who is on one side of a disagreement, and Fire Lord Sozin, who is on the other side of a disagreement, and so... That's why good and evil fight within you. And it's like, can't it just be because he has a conscience? Like, why does it have to be? Because... Or because, like, or because, like, his mom was, you know, a good not an evil person. person. Yeah. Like, why, why does it have to be? Like, I get it. This is a show about But the destiny. idea of history and redemption, right. like, you know, it's a classic Star War. Yeah. You know, we're doing a classic Star War, and that's fine. It's fine. But I will say, like, Iroh just puts, like, so much onto Zuko's shoulders in this, like, moment where he's like, you must cleanse yeah. the sins of the Fire Nation and your family and, uh, like, everything that's happened for the last hundred years, and you're the only one that can do it. Do it. And it's just like, holy shit. 
Yeah, but I guess it works because literally in like three episodes, <laughs> he's going to completely turn on his country, nation, and his yeah. father. So, yeah. well, I mean, so you know, I think this is slightly building on some of the revelations that Zuko has during the beach where, you know, he's not angry at other people. He's just mad at himself because he still feels conflicted. And, you know, this one is sort of trying to give like a greater purpose and destiny to that conflict. And, uh, mm. you know, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out in the, the coming episodes. Um, but yeah, so that's it for Avatar mm. this, this time around. Let's go into Korra and talk about, the coronation. The coronation is okay. I don't think that's I know what they were going for. I know it's, but okay. It's not. It's not at all. But they <laughs> did call the fandom the coronation, so I just can't help but oh, God. like groan at it. All right. So this one, I want to talk about a little more conceptually yeah. for a second because it's fucking weird. It's so right? weird. This, we're now finally getting into like what is the plot of this season yeah. which is okay first of all Korra needs to regain her mojo mm -hmm. which they literally say mojo I think in this episode um or maybe it's next episode I don't know but she needs to get her mojo back and part of that means um sort of incorporating or coming to terms with the ideologies that she's faced in the past yeah while at the same time we're introducing a new ideology and trying to construct it historically, but it doesn't work at all because the history of the Avatar universe is really different from the history of our universe. Right. And the writers can't quite acknowledge that. No, yeah. Um, okay, so we've got Toph and Korra finally meet. Yes. And Toph is like, I'm grumpy. <laughs> I mean, it works better than Toph as a cop. Oh, yeah, 100%. I like Toph the grumpy old woman like a million times better. And she's great. And uh, I like most of the stuff with her and Korra. And, you yeah. know, I think... She's voiced by Tress McNeil, who you might remember as the Kajigger lady from uh, Futurama or a billion other roles. <laughs> but I just like... I just like the just idea like of Toph saying, my Kajig! <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... You know, what call it's it? fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like their their repartee, their dynamic that they've got going on here. Um, it's, it's interesting, it's fun. After a while, I find it a bit exhausting. I, I don't want to give it too much credit. Like, I mean, just every time, you know, Korra's like, you said you'd train me. And she's like, I never said that. I said that I would, you know, fight you because I'm bored and I don't like you and I don't want to give you um, a hug. Oh, well, okay. I will say, coming off of Avatar and the Fire Lord, which basically ends with Toph, like, crying, do you really think friendships can last more than one lifetime? And then, you know, she's, like, training Korra or whatever. It's kind of like, weren't you just, like, yeah. emotional about this? <laughs> like, a hundred years ago right. or something? Well, she's just really disappointed in Korra because she's such a shit avatar yeah. compared to, to, Aang. Uh, to Aang. Yeah. Um, which, you know, great great to just continue to give Korra a complex about this. You know, nothing, nothing <laughs> bad will happen with that. Um, right. But yeah, but this one, Cora's trying to get over her trauma, and we like revisit. I is is it in this one or the calling where they 
where they talk about her the past enemies in in detail. It's this it's one. It's this one. It's the coronation. Yeah. So it's like they're going into. Well, I mean, they talk about her 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 trauma with them in the second one in in the calling as well. Okay. But in this one, it's talking about like the world doesn't need you. That's like that's like Toph's thesis statement on on Cora. Yeah, is like you're not necessary. You serve no purpose anymore, and you need to accept that. But then, like, everything else is, like, contradicting that idea. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, you know, she brought balance to the world by, you know, bringing back the Air Nation. And then in book three, I guess the idea is that's when she stopped being useful, like, after that decision. Right. But, like, she... you know, and... Yeah. She does stuff in season three, you know? Like, she's not useless. Right, but she's mainly a target. Yeah, that's true. She's being pursued by these terrorists because she serves mainly as a a preserver of the status quo, which is weird because in book two, the whole point is that she's a radical. She would, you know, open up the portal to the spirit world. Yeah. You know, in order to, to. you know, change the world. Right, but that's but framed like, as a bad thing for most of that season, and it's only at, like, the very end. Well, it's a bad, like, no, I don't think it is. I think it's framed as, like, well, everybody hated that decision, but it was the right decision, and that makes her brave. I guess. Uh, by the end, I think that's the that's the message, but I, I would say in the lead-up to it, there is a lot of, like, you know, everyone... No, right. why would you do that? I mean, we're going to see when, when Korra and Kuvira finally go face-to-face, yeah. and Kuvira's like, I made some unpopular decisions by conquering uh, the Earth Kingdom and enslaving everybody. Yeah. And then Korra's like, yeah, you're right, I made some unpopular decisions too. <laughs> but we'll get there. It's so dumb. It's, it's just a weird, it's a weird sort of contradiction, I think, which is like, okay, Korra needs to learn how to be a better avatar and take uh, action because she's been inactive for three years and that's allowed a power vacuum to occur that led to the rise of a a dictator. But she also needs to let go of her hubris and say, you know, who am I to be making these decisions? I'm just the avatar, you know, like, you know, I I serve no purpose anymore because state power has has filled the vacuum has usurped me. I know I'm no longer relevant because democracy exists. Right. So you no longer need a great spiritual leader to whatever. I don't know. It's a weird contradictory sort of moral that I, I think we'll need to talk about more as we go through it. But this is the lesson that Toph wants to teach is like, Oh, who the heck do you think you are, Cora? <laughs> right. <sighs> I don't know. Um, meanwhile, in Republic city, I guess Republic City just decides who the king of the Earth Nation is? Question mark? Um, well, I, this is part of, like, the, the nuance, right? Yeah. Is that it's like, it's like, what if the USA was in charge of tracking down the next heir Emperor of uh, China. to a nation after they had been assassinated? Right. Um, and then they also said that, like, uh, you know... That the United Republic and the Air Nomads were, like, hand-picking advisors and ministers for his court. So, this would basically be a puppet government. Yeah. Like, it's... (laughs) But they don't really even address that as the bad thing. The bad thing is that, like, Prince Wu needs to step up. Right. And be a benevolent ruler. Right. 
And it's like, why can't he just be a figurehead? All right. And what is more or less – it's the same thing that we were talking about with um, with Bossing say back in, in, in Avatar Book 2 where it's like, okay, yeah, sure, the Earth King is a puppet. The problem isn't that he's not ruling <laughs> – uh, effectively, the problem is that you have this shadow government right. that is completely, uh, you know, no one is able to scrutinize them. Yeah, and they're pure evil. <laughs> right, right. Secret police. The problem isn't that, like, oh, the Earth King needs to really step up and take charge. I mean, it it is in the like short term, but it's in the not short term, in like we the idol. Then obviously want them to 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 um, uh, what's the word? Yeah. Step down. Oh, uh, I want to say resign, but that's not quite the... No. Abdicate. There you uh, go. Abdicate. We got there, guys. We did it. (laughs) But yeah, so it's like this weird... It's another... It's the same contradiction as Korra. Korra needs to step up. Korra needs to recognize that she's not the end-all, be-all. Wu needs to take step up and take responsibility, but Wu is, you know... He's in it for the, the, the bling. He's not there for the right. policy. Well, it's just like, yeah, they're saying he shouldn't be in it for the bling. He should do something to prove his worth in order to ascend to kinghood, uh, to emperorship. Um, but, like, no, there's nothing he could do. <laughs> he was born into it. Right. It doesn't matter if he's, like, a good king or a bad king. He's That's how dynasties th- His work. country is done with... Is is just completely done with with the uh, inherited monarchy, right? So you know that's going on, and there's like apparently Quivir is coming into the city to hand over the country or something? Question mark. Not exactly sure. And I she promised to yeah, step down. I just love that she promised. The president's just like, well, she gave her word, and it's like there's not like a treaty or something that you made her sign. Like she's just like, oh yeah, no, 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 I'll definitely stop. But being this is in beside charge. the point. Like this is this bizarre universe in which there's no civil war that occurs because of this. Right. It's just literally like. Well, the no. entire army belongs to Kuvira because she's such a cult of personality. Yeah. Well, she's just crushed all the other stuff, too, because she's so strong and powerful. Well, no, because... Right. So there were individual militias of the different vassal states. But um, you're telling me that they're... Like, once the... the um, once the Earth Queen was killed, suddenly they dissolved the entire Earth Kingdom military I mean, and put them in charge of a dictator. Listen, and then you, you, brainwashed them so much that they would not be loyal to the monarchy once it's reinstated. I mean, listen, you saw you saw what Ba Sing Se looked like uh, at the end of season three. The whole thing was on fire. The the anarchists did it, David. It's anarchy's fault. Well, I'm just trying desperately to like put this into a, a historical context that it, would fit with. With, with like earth it you know because it doesn't make sense it's like too simplified but like still trying the to fire be nation in avatar is pretty much japan, imperial japan. in world war ii yeah. or germany in world war ii it's a fascist monarchist state um that you know is fighting a war of expansion mm-hmm. uh conquering peoples enslaving them putting them in camps all these you know yeah. things that you're gonna do if you're a fascist um so it it kind of fits but then in this version it's like okay so 
is Kuvira Mao or because uh, so, if she's Mao, that doesn't really fit. Mao was the leader of the you know uh, the, the 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 people's uh, or I forget the name of the party, but it's the the Communist Party. Yeah. Uh, and they were in opposition to the Republic, which only existed because of a revolution that was started as like the Boxers Rebellion that eventually led to a civil war. And then there was instability. And then, all right, I'm, so I'm not a historian, but, <laughs> but you've got the. But like, it, it was a lot more complex than just they assassinated the uh, Ever, the leader right. and then suddenly there needs to be a whole new system of government that arises and right. you know, there's this great uniter. I mean, literally like China in real life has split and been reunified like so many times, know, multiple, several times. Yeah. I mean, the, the earliest one being 2000 years ago. Right. More than. Right. So, like, in that situation, the Great Uniter was, yeah, it was an emperor who took control. And, you know, no one's, like, judging that person for trying to conquer and and uh, Well, you and know, China. I, I feel like we, you know, as, as modern peoples looking back at a historical past... You know, we we can't quite judge the people on our like modern moral system. You know, like right. But I I don't think we can do the same for fifty years ago either. I mean, like Ch China in at the turn of the twentieth century is like completely um, colonized by you know British trade deals and and you know the opium wars and mm -hmm. um and then Japan invades them in World War II yeah. and it's like okay yeah I think it was probably pretty reasonable that they have a quick revolution right um where they overthrow the the monarchy and replace it with sort of a sham republic that's actually a military dictatorship right. so I mean if that's what it's supposed to be if if this is uh if you know if Kuvir is supposed to be more like Chiang Kai-shek, that almost makes more sense because Chiang Kai-shek was a fascist, not a uh, not a communist. Yeah. But they were allied with communists and then turned on them and that was the long march and there was just this huge purge to try and get rid of all the communists. I, I think we'll, communists we'll get more into like the specifics of what, you know, Kuvira's actual like policies and uh issues are in in the next set of uh episodes but i i think what you're saying is accurate you know i i i'm agreeing with you um but it's like you don't go straight from a monarchy to a full maoist right. uprising it just doesn't happen you need in between there civil war you need yeah. in between there you know, factions forming and a fake republic, you know, almost every communist revolution, um, you know, has an intermediary period with a sort of sham republic right. that, that forms. And same thing with fascism. Fascism always arises out of a sort of republic that's unable to satisfy the needs of the, of the people, you know, whatever, because of economic downturn or, you know, just the fact that people can't eat, which is what they're going for here. Right. But there's no interim republic or anything. It's just literally like, I mean, okay, we just don't get to see it. The monarchy collapses and then suddenly a fascist emerges. I mean, we don't get to see it because there have been three intermediary years where 
right. stuff is Three going years on. is way too short. I know, I know. But like, for all of this to have happened. They, exactly, because the, the writers don't truly understand how long this stuff would take. And also, lots of shit gets condensed for the sake of fiction. You know, like, I, I can't harp right. on it too much because... It's fiction. Well, but just don't go for something this complex. I know. Like, why are you trying to... Because Cora's like, dark. Why are you trying to characterize this as sort of like the great leap forward um, in Chinese history? And there's some clear references to that that we'll see later. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't work because... No, this is just a random military coup against a weak leader that be, yeah. you know, there's no sponsorship like right. uh, in, in, in real life, you know, the U S was supporting the, the fascist overtaking right. and they were fighting against the communists, Well, like you know, but in this version of the world, there's no communism, but there's also yeah, like I, evil fascist communism. I, I don't know. It's all very strange. Um, I do think it's interesting that like Republic city is kind of like, well, we gotta support Kuvira because the Earth Kingdom has all that metal that we need, so we gotta ally with them. And I'm like, it's just the Star Wars prequels, but, like, makes even less sense. Well, I mean, I guess that's somewhat true to life. You know, America's support of the, uh, the Chinese Republic against the People's Republic of China, uh, you know, the fact that we didn't recognize China as China until, like the 70s <laughs> yeah um and we still were saying that taiwan was china yeah. um i guess that's sort of similar <laughs> uh and i guess does that make Zhaofu taiwan no idea but, you know they don't have the they don't have like a sham separate government i don't know nope. it's, it's it's very weird and none of it makes a ton of sense um okay but yeah I mean, so that was just a long ride to say that it's confusing yeah um so also things that happen in the coronation there's esna and desna come back for like a little cameo i guess and it's weird and esna makes yeah. like an incest joke and then like male abuse jokes and it's weird and i don't like it um it, i don't think that's an incest joke i think it's just they sleep you know, it said uh, Desna sleeps in the tub. I mean, yeah, but they let it hang there for a second because they're like, oh my god, do they sleep in the same bed? And you're supposed to be like, whoa, funny and scandalous. But no, he sleeps in the tub. Hilarious. Also bad. Don't like it. They're the worst. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, the the king guy whose name I can't remember because it matters. Prince so Wu? Prince Wu. doesn't matter at all. He gets, like, a little existential crisis, and they go to, like, little, uh, little... Right, no, I like how during the coronation, they're, like, you know, at first they're going, woo! (laughs) And it's like, they're cheering for me! It's like, maybe they're just saying your name. Yeah. Uh, it reminds, you know, are they saying boo or (laughs) boo-erns? Are they saying woo or woo-erns? Boo? What are you saying? Yeah, and then uh, Bolin and Mako fight about Kuvira versus Wu, and Bolin's kind of like, listen, your king blows. And Mako's kind of like, well, Kuvira's maybe a fascist. And Bolin's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Mako's like, I don't know, bro. Literally says those words. And uh, it's the best line that Mako ever has. And <laughs> I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. 
And, uh, yeah, Korra ends the episode still pretty bad at shit. Then, uh... Episode- well, it's just, like, the worst, you know, it's the most contrived, you know, conflict, because you know we're going to find out that Kuvira is the bad guy. Right. In, like... And we've already found out that she's the bad guy, and Bolin is just ignorant of that. Yeah. But it's just weird to me that Bolin always becomes the unwitting, you know, propaganda uh, wing of imperial power yeah like he you know he became a a propaganda star for the movies and then now he's like the face of the fascist party as like the you know hitler youth right who's got a got a handsome face poor bolin not poor bolin he's he's a shit he just always sides with fascists until he realizes that they're fascists (laughs) yeah um, all right, well, in uh, episode four, The Calling, we get a little mini-adventure with Milo and his sisters, uh, with Iki and Janora, where they're they're sent off by their dad to go find Korra, um, and it's yeah, hijinks. It's, this is awful. It's very bad. Because they're, like, trying to go uh, with this, like, idea that Iki feels, like, left out and that she doesn't really have a place in the group and doesn't, isn't able to, like, impress people the way her siblings are. But it's like, is Milo right. that impressive? I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that because I think, you know, Iki and Janora are both not nearly as annoying as Milo. Yeah. And so they would just team up on just, you know, shitting on him. Yeah. But no, for some reason it's it's Iki. Um, so she gets accidentally kidnapped by some Earth Empire dudes, uh, and you know she kind of befriends them and tricks them and finds out all the information. And in the end, you know her siblings show up and they think they're rescuing her, but she's like, Psh, "I had this all figured out. I know where Cora is." And I got our food back, and I was like charming my way out of this situation. So you're losers and they're like oh sorry we doubted you and then the conflict is over right but it's such a contrived plot i mean you've just got these like dumb guards who are like hey wouldn't it be great if we caused an international incident (laughs) while you know kuvira is is you know trying to maintain the illusion of uh neutrality and you know secure funding and support from from the republic Republic." yeah and it's like Oh yeah, we'll just totally kidnap the the children of a dignitary. <laughs> like, right? What? It's insane. And then they just immediately let her go because they're like, "Oh, I feel for you." Yeah, because little girl. It's the plot tells me to. God, I I literally wrote in my notes: this episode is so boring. <laughs> like, no, it's just nothing's happening. Nothing at all. Uh, Quivira um, shows up at Zalfu. Meanwhile, Cora and are still training. Yeah, right? yeah. Cora and Toph are training. Quivira shows up with some troops at Zalfu. Um, you know, Cora's whole deal is that she has to learn from the past because, you know, she... It, I, I think this is the episode where Toph is specifically like, you know, what did the equalists want? They wanted equality. And what did... Uh, what did, what did Unalak want? What did Unalak do? He freed the he freed spirits. The spirits. And what did what did uh? What did Amon? Uh, not Amon. <laughs> shit. What's his name? We just finished talking about him. What did Zahir um, want? Right. 
He just wanted to murder you. Right, but no, no, he he wanted freedom. So, you know, equality, balance, freedom, like... Right, she's got to incorporate part of their ideology. But this is exactly what we were talking about. We were talking about how the, if the show is about incorporating the ideologies of these... Like, Korra has been doing that by incorporating just things that are kind of tangentially related right. to what these guys wanted, but have nothing to do with their actual ideology. Right. And so, Korra will institute a democracy, which is not what Aman was fighting for. Right. You know, but at least it's more equal, I guess, because there's a non-bender president, so... <laughs> You know, there's a black president. So, racism solved. We can all move on from racism. Yeah. You know, all the structural inequalities don't exist anymore. And then, you know, Unalak wanted to, like, descend the world (laughs) into a thousand years of chaos um, because he hated the government so much. But I guess the main thing to take away from that was he wanted to free the spirits. So it's important to have the spirits back, which, like, I guess it was because it brought, like, the airbenders back or whatever, which is... I mean, I'm sure that was a great decision, but what does it have to do with Unalak's, like, overarching theme? He's just, like, a power-hungry madman who hated other other world governments so much that he tried to destroy the entire world and descended into darkness under the rule of an evil spirit. Right, and, like, Zaheer's... Or, sorry, dark spirit. Zaheer's, like, freedom thing, is that just, like anti-fascist you shouldn't support fascist Cora, but like you know what were the chances she was gonna do that anyway i don't know she she probably would have left the the queen of earth kingdom alone until she invaded because it's all about it's all about like non-aggression it's the status quo it's all about whoever's doing the most like aggressing they're the bad guy right but it's not the system that's broken it's just that one person who's trying to shake things up God, all these sjw's Um, who just like can't leave it alone man well no it's not even that it's just like the idea that like okay a revolution is never justified because you know it's because the oppressors are not the aggressors right they're just the the norm right you know that's the part that bothers me yeah i don't think it's really anti-sjw or it's just anti like revolution anti- War. It's anti But like wars can certainly. sometimes be justified, right. you know? Right. <laughs> like if there's a bad guy. Um so meanwhile, uh the the air kids fly by on their bison and then some vines pull it into the swamp. Right. It's basically all the swamp is good for is just grabbing air bison out of the sky so here's my question. and giving people nightmare visions. Who, who did that? Because last time they did this, it, there was a tornado no. that knocked them down. It wasn't vines. The vines were no, controlled but the tornado by was like a... the, it was the swamp spirit. You remember? Yeah, there was like a whole thing where right. they were like, "I didn't conjure a tornado." Right, exactly. So and then it was like, "Oh, the swamp got him." Exactly, the swamp got him. But like the guy who was doing the vines was like a person, so that's why I'm like, this time the vines. So you're got saying him. it should have been a tornado? I don't know. I mean, like who's controlling why the can't vines? It be vines? Why can't the swamp use vines? I don't know because it's even weirder. Like. Maybe it can. The swamp is made of vines. It's true. I don't know. It's it's whatever. And also in this season, remember that we're trying to really make it a thing that spirit vines are like magic. Yeah, that's true. And they can turn into giant laser bombs. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, 
but it's fine. <laughs> so the kids are finally able to find Cora because, oh yeah, Janora's like spirit senses or whatever weren't working. Like she couldn't locate Cora with her spirit echolocation. Right, because Cora wasn't connected with herself. Right, or with the rest of the world. And she was hiding in the swamp. Yeah. But now they were both it's looking the, for each other. It's the Luke Skywalker in, uh, in, in <laughs> and you know. On the planet where he trains. The, with, the Last Jedi. Yeah. Okay, yes, The Last Jedi. Um, yeah. So at the end of this episode, Korra pulls the last traces of Zaheer's poison out of herself. Um, and it's like, right. Because she wanted the poison in her because of her trauma. I mean, it's like, you're holding on to bad things. You just got to let go. I man. mean, I don't hate it as a metaphor for self healing, you know? Cause like, it's not that people necessarily hold on to trauma because they want to be in pain, but you know, the trauma can be a a shield and a way of dealing with it um, and not having to deal sure, with other things. People who I've spoken to who have a history of trauma, it's like there's no such thing as letting trauma go. That's true. It's just not a thing. That's true. You're always carrying it with you. Yes. It's, you know, so if there was like some metal that like literally just, well, that's never going to leave you. You just have to learn to live with it or learn to work with it. Right. You know. That's slightly different than you just got to get that bad shit out of right. the good shit in. Yeah, you got to go on a cleanse. You got to do a diet. You got too many toxins yeah. in your body. Check out, you gotta, check out the Goop website. They got something for antioxidize that. Antioxidize yourself. Um, all right. So that's 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 about it for this, right? Did we miss anything? Um. Well, I mean, it ends with them being like, help us kill Kuvira. And then she's <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, and then they go off to do that. But I that. guess she just was lying to them. She didn't really want to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll see how the rest of it shakes out in uh, in our next little recap. Uh, if, if you enjoyed this, give us a shout-out either on uh, Facebook or, you know, on Twitter, at Talking Tropes. Uh, you know, hope, hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.